You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning Machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed mind Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. This to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Well, here we are. This is the Anarchist World this week, broadcasting across Australia, north to south, east to west, via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live from the from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast at any time you like at 3cr.org.au. This is a great time for podcasts, especially if you live uh, in New South Wales and Victoria. There's little else to do but listen to podcasts, read things. And the good thing about podcasts is the fact that you don't actually have to devote your time to the Murdoch Empire or Zuckerberg Empire. That's what podcasts are all about, independent Analysis, And that's what the anarchist world this week is. And I can assure you what we talk about on this program, very few people actually mention, let alone delve deeply into these topics. If you want to know what anarchism is all about, very simple concept, anarchos without rulers. So what is the primary aim of anarchists is to create a society without rulers. What gives rulers the ability to determine the lives of billions of people? Simply inequalities in power and wealth. So the anarchist struggle is the struggle to hold wealth in common and use it for the common good and to ensure that uh, people are involved in the decision-making process. It's about breaking down hierarchy, about breaking down inequalities in power and wealth. Simple concepts, easy to understand, very hard to implement. Why is it hard to implement? Because that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication and their mates in the investment class, those 8% of Australians with disposable income, to take advantage of this country's investment-friendly laws, like negative gearing and franking credits are concerned, well, they're all against any change. And that brings me to this today's first topic. Now, I don't know why I do this, not do the anarchist world this week. I mean, it's therapy for you and me. But why I look at what's happening in the world and especially what's happening in this country and listening to all the geniuses, both male and female and in between, who make constant comments which are extraordinary. Now, our federal treasurer, well, your federal treasurer, Mr Joshua Frydenberg, made a very important statement because they're a bit concerned about the books and the statement he made was, life needs to return to normal. Well, Joshy... I'm sorry, life does not need to return to normal. We don't want to go to the pre-pandemic 
situation we found ourselves in at the end of 2019. I do not want to go back to that situation and I am confident that most listeners to this program, not most Australians, but most listeners to this program do not want to go back to that situation where the gap between rich and poor was increasing exponentially, where the ability to exercise power was reduced almost nothing, where we had almost a million children living in poverty in this country, where we had one in three Australians trying to survive on inadequate social security benefits, where we lived in a society that was not willing to even envisage the concept of a treaty with this country's First Nations people, where we saw the trade union movement basically legislated out of existence and the ability of workers to actually collectively bargain has disappeared because of legislation. We don't want to go back to the situation where we were trying to declare war against the Chinese government of the day. So I don't want to go back to normal. It's not back to normal. People haven't been through this pandemic, especially in New South Wales and Victoria, who have taken the brunt of the restrictions. They don't want to go back to that society where inequalities were increasing, where it was difficult for an increasing number of Australians to actually make ends meet. Not just for those people who are on social security benefits, but all those people who are living on wages, whether they're small businesses, whether they're self-employed, whether they're wage earners. The fact is that most of this country's contributions come from the 80% or the 90% of Australians who don't own shares, except possibly through their superannuation contributions, who don't own shares, who don't negatively gear property, who can't use this country's investment-friendly laws to enrich themselves and legally minimise their tax to nothing. I mean, we don't want to go back to that situation. We want to think of things like a universal basic income to ensure that all Australians have the capacity to live comfortably on a continent of 25 million people where we have exceptionally large deposits of natural resources under the ground. We don't want to go back to the situation where we have the coal industry and the uh, telling us that we can't go to zero emissions, that we can't tackle the problems created by increased CO2 emissions and the climate emergency we are facing. We don't want to go back to that situation. We don't want to go back to the situation where old-growth forests are still being harvested to ensure a few thousand people are employed so that we can have a little bit, you know, glossy paper. We don't want to go back to that situation. I don't want to go back to the situation of having to walk over people, you know, sleeping on the streets in this country's capital cities because they can't access decent housing. I don't want to go back to a situation which has seen most of this country's infrastructure privatised, given away to the private sector at bargain basement prices, fire sale prices, and see the rest of us having to pay excessive 
fees to these privatised corporations. I don't want to go back to the situation where aged care, where our elderly, and I'm one of them these days, where elderly people find themselves in privately run nursing homes trying to live on less than $3 a day for food. I don't want to go back to that situation. I don't want to go back to the situation where young people live a lifetime trying to pay off a hex debt for degrees that lead nowhere. I don't want to go back to that those situations. And I could go on ad nauseum for the rest of the program regarding going back to normal. So Joshy, Joshy Frydenberg, Federal Treasurer and all your hanger honours, life will not return to normal. Irrespective of whether we learn to live with COVID-19 or not, it must not return to normal. And it's up to us people that have kept our powder dried, that have obeyed the Chief Health Officer's directions, that have decided that the risks to the community of us going out in the streets at this particular point in time is too great. Don't think that we've been cowed into submission. We haven't. We're waiting for the opportunity to get back out there and ensure that life does not return to normal. When they say life returns to normal, they mean business as usual. When we say life should return to normal, we're talking about the people living on this continent actually having a livelihoods and lifestyle which befits 25 million people living on a continent. You're listening to the Anarchist World. You're listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. Now I'm going to set set a riddle, and I'll come back to this riddle later on in the program. I thought maybe we'd tart up the program with a riddle. So now, and that doesn't mean you don't listen to the rest of the program. What does the 19th century potato famine? and COVID-19 vaccination intellectual property rights have in common. I'll repeat it again. What does the 19th century potato famine and COVID-19 vaccination intellectual property rights have in common? Think about it. Pandora Papers. Pandora Papers. The Short Arm Deep Pocket Brigade. The Short Arm Deep Pocket Brigade. Pandora Papers. Now, we've all heard about the Pandora Papers, haven't we? We've all heard about the Pandora Papers. I mean, they are extraordinarily, um, they extraordinarily uh, interesting. And the Pandora Papers remind me of the Short Arm Deep Pocket Brigade. I have noticed that when people are begging on the streets, that the people who tend to... Uh, put their hands in their pocket and put some money in the cup or hat or handkerchief tend to be people who aren't that well-dressed, people who themselves find themselves in difficult situations. They seem to have long enough arms to get to their pockets and take out that quid or whatever, you know, 50 cents or a dollar or two dollars to keep people's body and soul together. Well, the reality is that these people, when we talk about the Pandora's 
papers. We're talking about trillions of dollars, not billions of dollars, but trillions of dollars. And these people epitomise the short-arm deep pocket brigade. They don't give a shit about the people they rule. They don't give a shit about the people they exploit. They don't give about a shit about the people they jail. All they care about is themselves, their family members, and their hanger-oners. And the great thing about the Pandora Papers is that it highlights it doesn't matter what your religious beliefs are, it doesn't matter your sec- what your sexual orientation is, it doesn't matter what your gender is, it doesn't matter what your the colour of your skin is or where you come from. The fact is that this disease, the short-arm deep pocket disease, is universal. And it tends to be more extensive in countries where rulers are not accountable. Whether it was al-Bashir in Sudan who had amassed a fortune of hundreds of millions of dollars while the people of Darfur and southern Sudan were dying in wars which he instigated. Whether it's the King of Jordan who arrested his brother who accused him of corruption. Whether it's, you know, uh, celebrities in the US of A and the land of Oz. The fact is that these people are a blight on this society because they take, 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 take and never contribute. They don't contribute in taxation revenue. They don't even, most of them don't even contribute as so-called philanthropists. And if one thing the Pandora Papers highlights is that the class war is not over. It's been papered over, but it's not over. You may think that it's all about gender equality, or you may think it's about racial discrimination. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it's about inequality, structural inequality. And there's one thing the Pandora Papers highlight and the trillions of dollars which have been squirrelled away around the world by people who are not willing to put their name, including the so-called royal, the House of Windsor in England, are not willing to put their name to a contract because they know what they're doing is morally and ethically repugnant to the people they lord it over. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Now let's go back to the riddle. What does the 19th century potato famine and COVID vaccination intellectual property rights have in common? I'm sure you've all worked it out. Have you worked it out? I'm sure you have. Money, 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 money makes the world go round. 
Now let's go back to the 19th century Irish potato famine, all right? I should have said Irish potato famine, but I'm sure you knew what I was talking about. Now a lot of people think that a million people, over a million people from a population of less than five million, a lot of, we know, let's not think, we know, we know that over a million people from a population of less than five people died in the 19th century potato famine. And we know that over a million Irish people were forced to immigrate in order to survive. We're consistently told that it was due to a blight. It was due to the fact that the crop failed. Well, that's not the reason. The reason there was a famine in Ireland at that particular point in time was the English landlords who had introduced potatoes, created big estates in Ireland, kept exporting potatoes to England for a profit while their, their workers were dying of starvation. So it was about maintaining profitability irrespective of the human consequences. It wasn't a famine as far as they were concerned. It was a business opportunity because exporting potatoes back to England was much, 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 much more profitable than actually selling potatoes to the Irish people. And that's why that anger between Ireland, the Irish people and the uh, United Kingdom has continued to fester for so long because this was a famine that didn't have to be so devastating for so many families. So what's that got to do with COVID-19 vaccination intellectual property rights? Well, I don't know if you understand this. Most of the pharmaceuticals which are being used, the vaccinations that are being used currently, have been developed by private corporations. And these private corporations have a 20-year patent monopoly on the production of the vaccines which they have developed courtesy courtesy in many regards of public money, public support and the universal spreading of knowledge. Now, I know it's very fashionable, you know, to blame the Chinese for the COVID-19 pandemic, but the fact is that within a few weeks that actually worked out the genome of COVID-19 and shared it around the world to allow people to study it and find ways of dealing with it. So what's the problem? The problem is we have a pandemic. The problem is we have over 7.5 billion people on the planet, over 7.5. The problem is it's only those countries which are able to afford vaccines who have been able to access these vaccines. And billions of people around the world cannot access vaccines, mainly because their governments 
normally through because of corruption, don't have the resources to purchase these COVID-19 vaccines, which have been proven to be exceptionally important in the fight against COVID-19. Exceptionally important. Because they have intellectual property rights, which means that nobody else is able to copy that vaccine for 20 years. That's what intellectual property rights are. Now, currently, there is a move around the world to suspend intellectual property rights for COVID-19 vaccination. And it's not just something, you know, an ethical movement. It's much, much more than that. Because the world has a problem. You see, COVID-19 is a great universalist. It doesn't care what your skin colour is. It doesn't care what your sexual orientation is. It doesn't care what your gender is. It doesn't care where you live on the planet. It doesn't care about any... It doesn't doesn't respect sovereign borders. I'm sure the border force in Australia is, you know, horrified that the COVID-19 virus is come into the country and they haven't even been able to put it back on a boat and send it back to Indonesia, have they? Well, it doesn't respect any of that. So what it means is this is a living entity. A virus is a living entity. Like you and me, it wants to survive. And if the world isn't vaccinated in a relatively rapid time, within a year or two, This gives the virus the time to mutate. And what that means is that we may see a more contagious virus than the Delta strain, a more contagious strain than the Delta strain. We may see, more importantly, a more virulent, and that's a fancy word for saying, a virus which can kill people, a more virulent, a more effective killer of human beings developed in unvaccinated populations. So in order to get on top of the current pandemic, we need to be able to allow manufacturing sites around the world, and there are many, to produce COVID-19 vaccination at cost price. And that means that these intellectual property rights for these private corporations which have been funded through public research and to a significant degree propped up through public money actually suspend the intellectual property rights over this particular vaccine. And if we as a planet cannot get to that position because sovereign nation states are not willing, not willing to ensure that this occurs, what this means is that we will be bitten on the bum whether we're fully vaccinated as a society or not. So this is a matter of survival. It's not just a matter of being nice to your neighbour. It's a matter of being nice to your neighbour because if you're nice to your neighbour, maybe, like smallpox, will be able to eradicate it from the world.
I mean, there are many diseases which we have almost eradicated because we have ensured that intellectual property rights are not maintained by these corporations. I mean, at the end of the day, what's more important? What was more important? The landlord's right to export potatoes in the 19th century Irish famine while the people of Ireland were dying so they could, you know, align their pockets? What's more important? Their the landlord's rights or the rights of the million, million people who died or who were forced to, you know, immigrate? It's the same today, same concept. It's the fundamental flaw in a capitalist system, a system based on creating profits irrespective of the human, social and environmental costs. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Scarner. I'm hosting today's program. Greenwash. Oh, I love greenwash. Have you noticed all the beautiful ads? I mean, I don't watch TV that much or even use social media that much, although I use a lot of platforms to try to get ideas across, as you know. But I don't, I don't watch the shit. But when I wash, watch it, I've actually noticed a change in the last six to 12 months, and that is the amount of greenwash that we see in newspapers, social media, uh, television advertising, radio advertising, advertising on Facebook. I mean, it's fashionable. It's fashionable, irrespective of what the federal government says. It is fashionable to talk about zero emissions and place your corporate entity in, term, in, in, in a lovely light as far as the public is concerned. You know, what, what's called social acceptance. You know, I'm doing something. We're doing something. We're a big corporation, but we're doing something regarding green emissions. And one of the most important... Uh, ways that people have been able to invest funds is through uh, funds. These are superannuation funds. These are privately run funds. These are hedge funds, which talk about sustainable. They're sustainable development funds. They're sustainable funds. And all of us nice people, you know, who want to ensure that our money doesn't go to the coal industry or goes here or goes there, puts our money in a lot of these sustainable funds, thinking, aha, aha, we're doing the right thing. We're working towards zero emissions. We're making our money talk to us because we're boycotting those corporations, those superannuation funds, which are not taking the issue of green emissions, I mean zero emissions, um, you know, not taking it seriously. Well, guess what? Currently, there is three... $0.7 trillion in sustainable funds around the world. That's uh, not much money, really. I mean, you think of the cash that's been you know, created out of nothing over the last few years. But $3.7 trillion out there. Now, what disturbed me is that only $197 billion, that's about 5%, only about 5% of the funds in these so-called sustainable funds are actually being used to fund projects which lead to zero emissions. So what's happened to the other 95%? Are they just sitting there? Where have they been invested? 
What's happening to all that money? Obviously, it's been invested in what I'd call greenwash projects, projects which look good, which smell good, but ultimately are doing very little to decrease emissions around the planet. So if you are one of these people who've got disposable income and have, uh, you know, have turned your back on the uh, normal CSLs and BHP bulletin, the list goes on and on, you know, share portfolios and have put your money in sustainable funds, check them out. Check them out. Ask the hard questions. Ask what percentage of the funds that I put into your so-called sustainable funds is going to go towards reducing emissions? And what percentage is going to be diverted into what looked like a media-friendly zero-emissions project which have no impact? I mean, the situation is so serious that people in the financial sector are now talking about this very same issue. The fact that most of the money in sustainable funds is not going towards decreasing emissions. It's basically a con. Think about it. I mean, you've all got money. Well, those of you that are working, you've got compulsory superannuation payments going in particular funds. Have a look at them. Spend a day. Spend a day. Spend a few hours looking at where that money goes and then make up your mind where you would like it to go because ultimately, you know what they say, it's your money. It's your money. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. Now, I'd just like to remind people that uh, Saturday the 9th of October is Peter Norman Day. Now, obviously, we will have no public ceremony in Melbourne to mark Peter Norman Day, and obviously there'll be no public ceremony in New South Wales to mark Peter Norman Day. But obviously, in other parts of Australia, it can be marked publicly because of the low COVID-19 numbers. Who was Peter Norman? Well, Peter Norman was just basically a bloke, I think, from Coburg in Melbourne. He was a school teacher and uh, he could run fast. He was a 200 metres runner and he turned up as a country hick, turned up at Mexico City on the Australian team to run the 200 metres and nobody really gave him any chance of getting anywhere, you know? Now, on that... now. Now, the 9th of October is actually the day that Peter Norman died when the um, the American Athletics and Track Field Association declared the 9th of October, the day of his funeral, sorry, not the day he died, the day of his funeral, as Peter Norman Day, a day to be marked around the world. So what did he do? Well, the first thing he did is he, he surprised everybody. He came second in the 200 metres between Mr Smith and Mr Carlos. Now, Mr. Smith and Mr. Carlos were uh, Afro-Americans. Good old Peter, he was as, you know, as white as white can be. And obviously the American track and field team had been talking about boycotting the Mexico Olympics to highlight what was happening in the US of A as far as uh, Afro-Americans was concerned. Remember, this was the year that uh, the country was... uh, ravaged by uh, riots 
as people try to get, you know, a few rights, Afro-Americans try to get a few rights in the land of the brave and the three. And he noticed, he noticed, he was told before the medal ceremony that they will be doing the Black Power salute to highlight what was going on in the United States. And he said to them, I will stand with you. I will stand with you. I will stand with you. And he wore a badge on the dais, which he was given by another athlete on the American team, which expressed that sentiment. And he stood on that dais when his fellow running mates put up their fists in black, you know, glove fists to highlight what had occurred, what was occurring in the US of A to the world in Mexico City during the 1968 Olympics. And for that, and for that simple act of solidarity, he paid a huge price. He was ostracised from the Australian Olympic team Although he had the fastest uh, time, he was not allowed to compete in the Munich Olympics four years later. And he carried this burden to the day he died. And he died quite young, in his early 60s. Now, he was so respected by Tommy Smith and Carlos, they came to Australia for his funeral on the 9th of October. I think it was 2009, I could be wrong. Huh? And... They announced that the American Track and Field Association, Athletics Association, had designated the 9th of October as Peter Norman Day, a day to celebrate the concept of universal human rights. So whether you can celebrate publicly or privately, I implore you to celebrate on the 9th of October. Sorry, on the 9th of October this Saturday. Think about it. Next year, Obviously, we'll be able to recommence our public ceremonies here in Melbourne and possibly in New South Wales. Let's move on. Let's move on. Vaccination confusion resistance. Yeah, this is something that's been puzzling me for a long time, you know. I mean, why this confusion and resistance to vaccination? And then I'm thinking to myself, maybe... We are victims of our own success. That's right. Victims of our own success. And what do I mean by that? When you think about it, especially in this country, because of past struggles, we have certain things which really are quite astounding. These were things which weren't handed to us on a platter, but these were things that we struggled for, and I'm old enough to remember many of those struggles. The first thing we have is a universal health insurance system, which is called Medicare. And we have a public health system, 
which is jointly funded by the state and federal government. And that means if you contract COVID-19 or any other disease and you find yourself in an acutely nasty situation, irrespective of whether you're a billionaire or whether you're homeless, you can access in the public sector the same standard of treatment. If you need ventilation, you need ventilation. And it doesn't cost you a cent. Hopefully. Obviously, it's a different matter in the private health sector, but that's another story because all the COVID patients currently, as far as I'm aware, are being treated in public institutions. This Medicare was introduced, it was called Medibank initially, in 19, I think it was 73, 74 by the Whitlam-led Labor government. And I remember being a medical student at that particular point in time, I think I was a third-year medical student, so it would have been 73. It could have been a fourth year, it could have been 74. And the resistance from the doctor lobby groups was incredible. Today, it's hard to find one doctor. There may be a few left, but you know who's against the concept of a universal health care scheme. Secondly, we have a thing which is called a pharmaceutical benefit scheme. That means that if some private corporation, pharmaceutical corporations, have has intellectual property rights on a particular medication, which is important to maintain your health in this country, that medication is subsidised by you and me, the federal government, through the pharmaceutical benefit scheme. Now, obviously not all medications are on the pharmaceutical benefit scheme, but many are, and many are exceptionally expensive, especially uh, cancer treatments. Thirdly, Unfortunately, the third thing that we lost, and this is what really has, has been highlighted during the pandemic, is a social and preventative medical arm to the public health system. It's been basically privatised out of existence, especially in Victoria, and much, much of the uh, mistakes, many of the mistakes that have been made have been made because there's been no memory regarding the importance of social preventative medicine and no infrastructure via which the state can deliver services. Even today, as far as COVID-19 is concerned, most of the services that have been delivered have been delivered by the private sector on behalf of the uh, state government. And the last thing we had, we have had an exceptionally successful vaccination program. You don't, well, smallpox has been eradicated around the world. I'm old enough to remember polio, where you could go to school one day, catch polio, and be in an iron lung for the rest of your life. Hasn't been a case of polio for decades in this country because of a vaccination program. Tetanus. Hardly see a case of tetanus because of a vaccination program. Diphtheria, whooping cough, measles, mumps. Hardly see a case because of a vaccination program which has been mandated 
by the federal government. No jab, no pay. Very simple. So there are many vaccinations administered to young children and many vaccinations administered to older people. If you go overseas and you go into a, uh, areas where diseases which no longer exist in this country are endemic, well, you're encouraged to get vaccination, hepatitis B, hepatitis C. There's a treatment now for hepatitis C and the list goes on and on. So to, to a certain degree, because we live in a now generation, We've forgotten what's happened yesterday, let alone two weeks ago, let alone 20 years ago. And vaccination has been so successful as far as public health is concerned that we have no living memory of the damage caused by things like cholera, typhoid, whooping cough, measles, mumps, poliomyelitis... And the list goes on and on and on and on and on. So maybe this vaccination hesitancy and this rise and rise of, you know, vocal, of an exceptionally small vocal minority that thinks that vaccination is akin to having sexual intercourse with the devil, you know, maybe, maybe this is because people have forgotten, have forgotten What's going on? And it's quite interesting to see that the CFMMEU in Victoria is up in arms two weeks after the protest outside their headquarters because many of their their officials and family members now find themselves with COVID-19 as a direct result of exposure which occurred when people were protesting outside their headquarters without masks. Think about it. So if you are hesitant... Think about it. This is the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Now, it gets worse. <laughs> Look, the longer I do this program, the more I'm just flabbergasted. Sometimes I don't think I can go on because it's just so extraordinary. But we reward mediocrity. We reward liars. We reward immoral, unethical exploitative behaviour in this country. And the more somebody makes out of that exploitation of somebody else, the greater hero they become in the public's eye. And that's but today I really want to lay the blame where it should lie. And it's we find ourselves in this situation because for far too long successive successive governments, federal governments, have pandered to the Murdoch family. Now, if you want to know why Australia is almost the last place on earth which continues to deny that we face a climate emergency and continues to deny that zero emissions is important, that, you know, look at the role the Murdoch media has played in that debate in this country and continues to, be, to play. Now, people tell me, the legacy media doesn't matter. Bullshit. The legacy media matters because it sets the political, cultural and national agenda on that day. Because every other news source, whether it's social media, whether it's 
many podcasts, radio stations, television stations, the list goes on and on, pay TV, all take their lead. And even the government guild at ABC, all take their lead from what's in the newspapers that day. Because they don't have the money to do the investigative reporting necessary to present real news to people. It's all about popular opinion. So if you want to blame somebody for the fact that these the people in this country have not taken the climate emergency seriously, blame the Murdoch media. More importantly, the Murdoch media is guilty guilty of people dying in this country unnecessarily from COVID-19 because of its stance on vaccination over the years. And the ascendancy of Trump in the USA of A and the political philosophy which now infects this country regarding vaccination and regarding so-called freedom is a direct result of the Murdoch media in all its on all its platforms promoting that agenda. Now, they think they're too big to fail. They think no government would be willing to pass legislation to curtail their power or break up their 70% ownership of the print media in this country and of the other media in this country, their domination of other parts of media in this country. Well, I'll tell you something. There is one organisation, minuscule, that's public interest before corporate interests, which is more than willing to take them on because we don't care what they think or say. It is... An honour, an honour to be derided, humiliated, ostracised, marginalised by the Murdoch media because of our ideas. Because our ideas are diametrically opposed to the shit, and my apologies to anybody who, you know, to shit, to equate the Murdoch media with shit I think is unfair to shit, you know, they are a blight on this country. They are an anchor on public opinion. And what's it all about? It's like the potato famine in 19th century England. It's all about maximising profits for the Murdoch Corporation. So if you work for the Murdoch media and by some chance you've stumbled on this program, which I doubt any of you would, Think about resigning. What are you going to tell your grandkids? Huh? I was part of that great conspiracy to deny people vaccination. I was part of that great conspiracy to deny the importance of the climate emergency. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. Look, if you want to Look at the website, go to pipsy.net, that's public interest before corporate interest, pipsy.net. You can always download the application form. Applications are trickling in, 
Hopefully by the end of the year we'll have enough members in Victoria to register the Victorian political party. We're almost at the position of registering as a federal political party for the next federal election, but guess what? The government of the day, with the support of the alternative Liberal Party masquerading as the Australian Labor Party, have just passed legislation which has increased membership for a registration as a federal political party from 500 to 1,500. And guess what the bill is called? It's called the Political Party's Integrity Bill. Not only have they done that, at the same time they have ensured that those political parties that now have 1,500 members will be able for all eternity to use terms like Labor and Liberal as their personal, personal fiefdom. It's a little bit like having intellectual property rights on common words for all eternity. So if you think we live in a democratic country, think again. It just reminds me of the ICAC. I don't know if you know what ICAC is. It's, you know, the Federal Liberal Party is very concerned about having a corruption commission. They've been pushed towards it, but they're very concerned because obviously they get the greatest amount of money and money, most of the money they get comes from the corporate sector and obviously... It's a wink-wink, nod-nod situation. You know, we don't want that particular legislation to go through Parliament. You know, we don't want it. If you let it go through Parliament, well, we may not be able to give you a donation next year or the year after for your election campaign. Election campaigns are expensive. I should know. They're very expensive. So what I love about the proposed legislation is that as far as politicians and public servants are concerned, because you don't want to get public servants scrutinised because they're kind of in, in, integrated with, with politicians, federal politicians. No public hearings, no whistleblower evidence. So you could see somebody hand over 100 grand in cash and you just can't report that to the Integrity Commission. Uh, the Integrity Commission can't actually investigate um, unless... Criminal charges can be sustained. That's right. You know, most corruption is not based on criminal charges. It's based on the wink, wink, nod, nod. I give you money, you do something for me regarding your legislative agenda. It's very simple. So what's the point? And guess what? It's called an integrity bill, just like the political party's integrity bill. And that's what I love about them. They never have, they've got no integrity personally, but they love to use the word. Now, just look, I know it's, bash the coalition day to day, but this is another great thing I love. This is, I love this one. The federal government has just paid $1.1 billion. That's a 1000000 million. I could do for $1.1 billion, and I'm sure you could, in the last 12 months to pay four accountancy firms for advice. Now, this advice would normally be provided by the public service for free. And $1.1 billion, you can actually appoint, you could increase the federal public service by about 14%. Think what we could do with them regarding the COVID-19 pandemic. You could employ about 12,346 public service. They've given away $1.1 billion to four accountancy firms. That's right, to four accountancy firms to provide information to the government of the day, which is normally provided by the public service. And that's what the... Because you know why? They don't trust their own public service because their own public service will give them a... will tell them the truth. 
that the deregulation, privatisation, globalisation, corporatisation agenda is a load of bullshit. I'll tell them the truth. So what do they do? They get advice from the very same people who support those concepts. And last but not least, I've heard that the uh, Catholic Church, a church which, you know, tried to mould me as a youth, but fortunately I ran away, um, is holding its fifth plenary conference. That's the fifth conference since colonisation began in 1788. And guess what? They're suffering relevance deprivation syndrome. People aren't going to church. They can't get priests. They've got to bring them in from overseas. But there's one good thing about being the Catholic churches. You and me, the taxpayer, we fund their institutions. We fund their private hospitals. We fund their private schools. And while they've got a direct line to the treasury, it doesn't matter how many plenaries they have, how many words of wisdom they talk about, nothing will change. Maybe it's about time they started paying rates and taxes as a beginning before we turn off the tap to religious institutions in this country. Well, you've been listening to The Anarchist World this week. We've touched a lot of topics. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Toscano. You can leave messages and look, Don't despair if I don't ring straight away. Sometimes I get 40 or 50 messages in one day. But the number is 0439 395 489. No point ringing and not leaving a message because I don't answer the phone. I answer messages. 0439 395 489. Want to join the West Papuan Rent Collective? Ring that number or go to the DFAT, D-F-A-I-T, Federal Republic of West Papua office and uh, you can get the directions there. You can write to me. Yes, I love letters. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can email me at info at pipsy.net or info at anarchistage at yahoo.com. Facebook pages, yes. Good old Mark doesn't make any money out of my Facebook pages. Joseph Toscano, Toscano for the public. Public interest before corporate interest. YouTube channel, Public interest before corporate interest. There's lots of other platforms. I think they're basically a waste of time, but everybody tells me they're useful, so we'll continue to you know, use them. But ultimately, nothing changes unless you're willing to get off your ass. It's that simple. I encourage you to become involved in activities once the restrictions are lifted, and you can join public interest before corporate interest now. Download the application form, info at Pibsi, P-I-B-C-I dot net. We've got almost about f- almost five, seven, I mean, 470, 480 members. Soon we'll be able to apply for registration as a, federal, as a state-based political party in Victoria and possibly as a federal party. Thank you once again. Listen to The Anarchist World this week on your community radio network next week. Evil minds that plot destruction Death's construction. An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, 
So it's up to us, the people. We need a treaty in this country. We need the end to the war in this country. And the only way we can do that is through a peace treaty. Not the one you see in Victoria, not the one you see in Queensland, not the one you see in the Northern Territory, because they talk treaty and still lock our people up. They still kill our people. They still desecrate our land and our water. A treaty means peace. A treaty means equality. And a treaty means justice. Thank you. Subscribe to 3CR in 2021. Feed Radical Radio. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.